We uh, have been working through last, actually last week and this week and onwards, uh, through a series through the Sermon on the Mount, which is a passage in Matthew, uh, one of Jesus' famous speeches. And uh, it's been giving us a little picture of different life skills that uh, Jesus has that he can share with us reasons to follow his advice in different parts of our lives. Now, as we said before, we apologize, we don't have the screen, so we're just going to be using the TV, hopefully everyone can see. I do notice we've all kind of moved to this side, so we've got a better angle, I like that. Lucy, you're welcome to stay there if you like. <laughs> cool. All right, so <clears throat> this week, our... There you go. All right, so this week we're looking at Jesus, the marketing executive. Now, marketing is a big industry. Um, I looked it up, and it is worth $1.2 trillion every year is spent on marketing, which is, if you, to put it in context, $1.2 trillion is more than the GDP, the gross domestic product, of all but 14 nations in the world. Uh, it is six times what New Zealand can produce every year. So if New Zealand pulled all of its resources together and we gathered all of our pennies, we could buy a 17% share in the, in the uh, industry. It's a huge, huge industry. People advertising. But that doesn't mean that all advertising, all of that money is put to good use. It doesn't mean that it is always successful. So I've decided to compile a list of my top 10 favorite marketing fails that we're going to have a look at here. So number 10, this comes straight from New Zealand. This is the lesson that says if you are going to have a floating phone that doesn't float, don't advertise the fact that it doesn't float and demonstrate that for everybody to see. That's, that's a fail. That, you wonder why Dick Smith is out of business now. Anyway, number nine. Ah, God bless America and their billboards. Alcoholism. There is hope ahead. And then right ahead is a winery. So you can't always control where your signs go up, but someone had to have put that up after the other person. So that's a bit of a marketing fail. Number eight, keeping with the billboards. You've got to think about what you're putting on your advertisements here. Texting kills. Texting and driving kills. And if you have any other tips, text this number. Think about this, people. Think about it. Number seven. <clears throat> this is just unfortunate uh, placement here. I mean, of any two different movies, too. That's, that's just historically very sad. All right, number six. <clears throat> McDonald's is now um, branching out in their menu, apparently, to mice. That's, um, that's, that's different. Number five. Okay, so if you own a hospital called Westwood Medical Center, perhaps don't adver advertise the movie A Million Ways to Die in the West. Not going to help with your patient influx there. Number four. You know churches are going to get in on this action. Come join the fun. Oh my gosh. I love churches. Number three. Okay, this is, this is the general rule that if you're going to put advertisements on your van, think about the door, okay? 
Think about how the door is going to open. Either that or Habitat for Humanity is really branching out on what it's doing. Not just building houses, but practicing your kills as well. And Starbucks always sucks, but that's all right. Number two. I've not been to Edinburgh, <coughs> but I'm not sure I want to anymore, if that's its top attraction. By the way, this came straight out of the magazine, Where to Go in Edinburgh. <laughs> you see what I did there. Okay, number one, my favorite, back to New Zealand here, where we are taking action, we're taking control, we are quitting school. Not what they were going for there. So, yeah. Lots of money goes into marketing, but you can't always control how it comes out. You can't always control the outcome. Sometimes it's just classic failure, like in Japan, where KFC got themselves into trouble because their slogan, finger looking good, uh, translated out as eat your fingers off, So, which was not their desired um, outcome either. And I remember actually down in Christchurch, you remember the TUI Year Right ads? Yeah, you remember those? Down in Christ, you know what I'm talking about on this one. Uh, a little while ago, um, a few years ago, Tui put out a, um, a, a year right ad, Jobs Done. Like, the job is never done. Clever ad, very funny. Except it came out at the exact time that Steve Jobs died. So that one got them into a fair amount of trouble. It came down pretty quickly, uh, if I do remember correctly. So yeah, advertising, not always successful. Uh, but it is a big industry, a lot of money poured into it. And it's interesting that um, marketing is, a, is an important issue for us as Christians as well. We find ourselves in the marketing industry. Um, when Jesus was just about to leave, he'd finished his earthly life. Um, he had died, he'd come back to life again, and uh, he was just about to go back to heaven. This is what he told his followers. He says, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we are in the advertising industry. We're in the advertising business. So it makes sense that Jesus would put himself out there as a marketing guru. And there are several strategies that we often use when we're trying to go out marketing. In fact, these are strategies that a lot of companies often go and, and use as well, successfully. So there's four different strategies I want to kind of point out, represented by different companies that have done a very good job. The first is the Apple strategy. <clears throat> so Apple has a very simple strategy. Just be absolutely flawless in your presentation. Like, the way that they go about everything that they do is just top-notch. Even the packaging that all of their stuff comes in is just sublime. It's just brilliant. And so, of course, they have really high-end sort of stuff as well, and it just, it just impresses people. So that's their marketing sort of strategy. And do you ever notice Christians kind of do this as well? We try to present ourselves flawlessly so that we can impress people into becoming Christians. A lot of churches do this. In fact, um, we started a church down in Christchurch called ReChurch um, about a decade ago. And we went down that road quite a bit with that. We, we tried to present things excellently. We weren't trying to put on a performance. We weren't trying to just sell something. But we were trying to change people's perceptions. People had this perception that churches are kind of hokey 
and a um, little backwards. And so we tried to present ourselves excellently to, to shake things up. And we had some success with that, and, and it worked pretty well. We're kind of taking a little bit more of a sort of laid-back approach this time around because what we found is that when you pursue excellency, it inadvertently kind of sits on the other end of the scale from authenticity. And it's not on purpose. It just tends to be the way it goes. When you come across as really professional, you often come across, especially churches, come across as less authentic. And we wanted to kind of steer the ship towards authenticity uh, while still being good at what we do, you know, and not just throwing it and cobbling it together. So a lot of Christians will try and do that. They'll take the Apple strategy that if I can just present myself as flawless, then that will inspire and impress people to become Christians. Then there's the Coke strategy. <clears throat> Coke has also a very simple strategy, and that is just to completely saturate the market. Just put your name out there as often, wherever, whenever. They don't focus very much on, on making you like Coke because they assume pretty much everybody either likes it or they don't at this point. They just want you to remember it. They just want you to constantly be thinking about it. So it's on every dairy, it's on every fast food place, it's on every type of advertising media. They're everywhere. And, and it just the idea is if they just keep themselves in front of you, eventually you'll just subconsciously want to have a Coke, which I kind of do right now. So it's working, right? And we do this as Christians as well, don't we? We have this strategy where we decide, I'm just going to say the name Jesus as often as I can in my conversations with people. Let's just throw that in there. As, as many times as I can, I'm going to steer the conversation around to some sort of spiritual thing so that it just keeps almost nagging people. It's like professional nagging. So it's like, you know, I'm having this, this salad, which that doesn't really apply to me, but... People have this cell and they're like, this reminds me of the nutrition that the Spirit gives us, you know. Or like you're at the supermarket, look, it's like, these apples are like the fruit of the Spirit, you know. And we just kind of, I mean, that's, that's kind of an extreme. Hopefully you're not doing that. But we often try and just pepper our conversations as much as possible with the idea that if I just say it enough, people will start to engage with what we're trying to say. Sometimes that works. Sometimes that backfires, but, you know. That's one of those things that we use. Then there's the KFC strategy. I'm kind of picking on KFC a little bit. They're getting thrown under the bus here. KFC kind of, not all of the time, but they kind of take this strategy where there's this perception that KFC is not particularly healthy for you. I don't know if you've picked up on this or not. Um, it's really bad. It's so good, but it's, it's really bad. And so they kind of, use a marketing strategy of distracting away from that. We're not going to talk about that part of things. We're going to talk about how it makes you feel. And we're going to talk about these wonderful social situations. And so you'll see a lot of ads about mates getting together and they'll go and have some KFC or they're in a park and they're having fun and it's summer and everything is happy. And of course, KFC is nestled in there. They're not really talking about the food. They're just generating positive feelings and associating it with the food, right? And so you get all of these sorts of ads. And yeah, we do that with Christianity a lot too, don't we? We kind of take this tack that we're going to talk to you about heaven. And we're going to talk to you about how much God loves you. God loves everybody. God is love. It's true. None of that is not true. We're not going to talk about hell. 
We're not going to talk about God saying, if you don't pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. We're not going to talk about that we give our lives to him and suffering often follows that. We're not going to talk about that. We're just going to focus. I mean, I'm trying to make a sale over here. So can we just keep the negativity to a minimum and we will just try and sell people on the good stuff. And then when they sign on the dotted line, all right, now let me tell you about the rest of the terms and conditions here. So we just kind of avoid the bad and we talk about the good. There's a time and place to talk about the good. We want to tell people about the benefits because people are wondering why they would ever become a Christian. We want to show them why. But we often just tip the balance there. And then finally, you've got the Nike strategy. Nike just basically goes and finds the most famous person, usually sports person that they can, stamp their brand on their T-shirt and say, hey, look, they, they like us. So LeBron James wears Nike, so you should wear Nike because reasons, you know? And it's like we do this with Christianity as well. We kind of find the most famous Christian we can think of, you know? Remember like when Michael Jones was in the All Blacks, you know, and he did his whole, I'm not going to play on Sundays, and we're like, yeah, Michael Jones is a Christian, guys. You know, we'll do that with anybody we can find. You know, movie actresses, musicians, we'll take Bono, we'll even take Justin Bieber depending on which, you know, song he's singing. And so, like, we kind of say, look, these people are Christians. You like these people, therefore, you'll like Christianity, right? And so we kind of take that sort of name-dropping strategy as well. So there's lots of different strategies that the world uses, lots of strategies that we kind of take on. But the question we want to ask this morning, of course, is what does Jesus say about it? What's his strategy? How does he go about things? All right. <clears throat> finally get into the Bible here. Goodness me. All right, so we're going to get into Matthew chapter 5 again and verse 13, and it will be up on the screen. We were afraid we weren't going to have it for a second there, but here we go. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can it make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives a light, excuse me, to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. All right, so what is Jesus' marketing strategy here? Well, he starts, as good marketers do, by identifying the product or service that we're providing, right? So what are, you, what are you selling? Well, Jesus here says two things. We're salty, hope he means that positively, and we're light. Now, what's interesting about um, verse 13, if you want to throw that back up, the translation I have is, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Which kind of implies he's talking about us being tasty to the world. Which, it's possible, but one commentator that I read actually talked about the fact that salt had a lot of uses in in the early church about the time that this was written. And flavor was not one of the most common ones. We associate salt with flavor, as in I have too much salt on my food because I want it to taste really good. But back then, the biggest, probably the biggest use for salt was as a preservative. They didn't have fridges and freezers, so when they wanted to keep meat especially from rotting, they would fill it with salt, 
which meant actually their diet consisted of so much salty meat that they really wouldn't have associated the taste of salt as a positive thing, necessarily. You wouldn't garnish your food with salt to make it taste better because it was already probably so salty that it was almost a negative thing. But as a preserving agent, it was valuable, very valuable. Which brings up an interesting idea that Jesus is calling us a preserving agent for the world. Which is interesting because we are acting as, a, as an agent that stops the spiritual rot of the world. We know that the world is moving away from God, away from the way that He is wanting it to act. And we act as a kind of preservative, helping people to stop moving in that direction and move back towards God, which is an interesting sort of concept for us. And then he goes on to say, but what good is the salt if it's lost its saltiness? It's useless at that point. See, back then when they would use the salt for preserving, sometimes contaminants would get into the salt. There would be other sort of minerals or, or um, contaminants and dirt and stuff, and then you couldn't use it for food anymore. It would poison the food. So what good is preservative if you can't use it to preserve? It's useless. So it would trample underfoot. And if we get contaminated in our spiritual lives, if we become, divert ourselves away from God, what the Bible describes as being sinful or letting sin take over, what good are we in preserving the spiritual direction of the world? We are the salt of the world. We need to keep our saltiness. And the second thing that Jesus says that we are is the light. This is the more common one. This is the one we tend to gravitate towards. He says, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. I find it interesting. Jesus is telling this story around Lake Galilee in Israel. And, and in the distance would have been the city of Hippos on the top of a hill. And so they would have been looking at the city, sitting at the top of a hill. And they'd remember every night that city would be lit up like a beacon with all of the lights in that city. And Jesus is like, that's who you are. You are a light, a guide, a beacon, like a lighthouse that guides people towards the truth, that guides people in. Interestingly, in another um, book of the Bible, uh, the book of John, which is another story about Jesus, it describes Jesus as the light of the world. He is the one who guides people towards God. And we mimic that. We take on that as well, which is a nice, interesting dynamic there. All right, so we are salt and we are light. This is the product, if you will, the service that we provide to the world is guiding people back to God. For the ultimate goal in verse 16, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The ultimate goal is that people would praise God. That's the purpose. That's why we're, what our service to the world is. So then he identifies the target market, which is the world. It doesn't really get much broader than that. That's basically everybody. Uh, so a lot of marketing uh, strategies would try and narrow, zero in on a specific demographic, a specific target audience. And different churches might sort of move in that direction, but Jesus talking to all of his disciples is basically just the world. Anyone and everyone that you come in contact with, 
That's who you are the light to. That is who you are the salt for. And then this is the interesting part, is he, he identifies the medium. That's what you do in marketing, is you, you've got your product, you've got your service, you know who you want to advertise it to, so now the next question is, how are you going to advertise it? How are you going to get the word out there to this group of people, right? And so what is Jesus asking us to do? Is he asking us to take the Apple approach with flawless presentation? Is he asking us to take the Coke approach of saturating people's lives with it? The KFC approach of kind of focusing on the good, distracting from the bad? Or maybe the Nike approach of name dropping? And honestly, a little dash of each of those is a good thing in context. Different situations will require each of those and have, and each of those will produce good results. But Jesus gives us a fifth option. And it's an option I found in an ad uh, during the Super Bowl last year. Um, I was watching the Super Bowl. Most of them are really funny. This one's not funny, but I thought it was really clever the way that um, this company, Jeep, went about their marketing campaign. Have a look at this video and see if you can find it there. I thought that was brilliant. How's this for a marketing strategy? Don't sell your product. Be the product. If you have a product that is actually that good, it will sell itself. Right? Just show it. Just show it. Do we have a product or a service that is worth it? Do we have power to help the world? Do we have the ability to be salt and light to the world. If we do, and I would suggest that we do, thanks to the Holy Spirit, we don't have to sell it. We just need to live it. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. He's not saying don't let your Good words shine out to see. I've mentioned this a few weeks ago. You don't have to sell it. Just live your life. There's a time for words. There's a time for explaining. There's a time for showing the positives. There's a time for all of that. But you know what? The greatest advertisement you can have is your life. The integrity that you show. The deeds that you do. The love that you show for people the care, the compassion that you have, that is what is going to tell the world about who God is. Because you can talk and talk and talk and talk. 
But if you do not live it, they will ignore your words and see your actions. You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words and an action is worth a thousand pictures. That's a million words. Live our lives. Let our good deeds shine before people and they will glorify God because of it. I find it really interesting um, that in verse 13, the beginning of verse 13, 13a and in 14a, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's not saying go be the salt of the earth, go be the light of the world, go generate in your life some light, go generate in your life some salt. This is not a to-do list. He's not saying you need to kind of muster this stuff up and, and kind of create in you light and saltiness. He says you are light and salt. It is who you are. It is who he has made us to be. And when, he, when we give our lives to him and he comes and lives inside of us as the Holy Spirit lives in us, and that's kind of a fun, weird sort of dynamic. But as he does that, he creates himself in us, salt and light. The thing that we do is we keep our salt pure by pushing out the contaminants so it doesn't lose our saltiness and by not hiding our light under a bowl, but sticking it up on a stand, being open, letting our light shine out. That's the role that we play. I found it interesting. Um, I said we started a church in Christchurch, and, and we were going down the Apple product sort of road with marketing, and, and we were, I was trying so hard to kind of make an impact. And I was trying so hard to impact people's lives. And I was like, all right, I need to go out and meet people and I need to generate relationships with people and I need to kind of be strategic and I need to kind of get my words in at just the right time and do the just right thing to get people to kind of buy Christianity. And then after I was finished in Christchurch, I came out to Auckland and I was kind of, a little burnt out on that whole thing. And so I just didn't for a couple of years. And I just kind of lived life. I tried to live life well. I tried to live life the way God would like, but I didn't, I didn't, just, I didn't actively seek anything out. I'll tell you, I had more spiritual conversations during that time period than when I was down church planted. Part of it was because I was in the work, workplace, 40 hours a week, but I just, I just went and tried to live the best that I could. And people would come up to me and we'd have conversations. And I didn't pursue it. I didn't chase it. I just tried to let my life... I wasn't even doing that well with that either. It wasn't even like I was living an amazing Christian life. I just tried my best. And it worked. And people came up and I had to, got to actually have these spiritual conversations with people and it was so natural. So my encouragement to you Follow the advice of our marketing executive. Speak sometimes. Live well all the time. Follow him. Draw closer to him. Let your saltiness and your light shine through.
that's going to be your best bet. Let's pray. Lord, um, we kind of feel a lot of pressure sometimes with the Great Commission. You know, you tell us to go make disciples of all nations. Tell us to be your witnesses in all of these places around the world. And there's an energy to that, and that's really wonderful. And sometimes we take on the pressure of that, that we've got to generate it and make it happen. And we keep forgetting that you keep telling us you're going to be with us. And that means your power is with us. And you have changed our lives and you have given us new life. We are new creations, you say. And you tell us that you have made us into pillars of light and, and, and cubes of salt for the world. So help us, Lord, to be less trying to generate that in our lives and more just trying to let it show. They would try to keep ourselves from being contaminated by the world and, and by the things that displease you. So we try and keep our salt pure and we, and we try not to hide our light so that you will be praised and people will see you through us. Help us to live those kind of lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.